dream of being in space again? Sure. And when you wake up, are you like... <sighs> I have a lot of dreams I wake up from very disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. -on -One. Singularity One-on-One -on -One is a podcast feature of Singularity Weblog where you can go and listen to it or download it in full. As you may already know, my name is Nicola, aka Socrates, and as always, I will be the man with the questions. Today, I'm very privileged to have Dr. Dan Berry as my guest on the show. Former NASA astronaut and veteran of three space missions, Dan is currently the head of faculty at Singularity University and co-chair of AI, Robotics, Space and Physical Sciences. Hi Dan, and welcome to Singularity One-on-One. -on -One. Hi Nick, pleased to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Dan, I know your time is very valuable, so I'll jump straight into the interview with the following question. Dan, can you please tell us a little more about yourself and your background, but especially why and how you got interested in space in general and becoming an astronaut in particular? Sure. Well, uh, flying in space was a dream I had for as long as I can remember. Um, so ever since I was a little boy, I was jumping off tables and eventually got to the point where I could jump off roofs. Um, uh, flying fascinated me. I went down to the airport uh, just to watch the planes land and take off. Uh, the space program got me excited about you know the, the, the dream of colonizing the solar system, of expanding out. And so it was really something that was with me from uh, as young an age as I can remember. And you know as you get older, um, these dreams sometimes fade. In me, they intensified. Um, and sometimes you get waylaid, and um, I did that a little bit in the sense of having a few other careers as an engineer and a physician, but always really mostly just wanted to get out of the atmosphere. So in that sense, what is the motivation or the ultimate goal behind being or becoming an astronaut, Dan? Well, the goals of becoming an astronaut, I think, vary a lot. You know, the goals in first grade are it's fire and it's smoke and it goes fast. So, uh, you know, the fireman, uh, astronaut are fairly equivalent jobs from that point of view. But um, one thing that I found unique about the real job was this combination of both intellectual and physical challenge. I mean, you really do need to have a thorough understanding of the vehicle that you're in. You have to have a, a good understanding of the experiments that you're running. Uh, and you have to have, at the same time, some athletic ability to, to go outdoors and simply not do rocket science, but unbolt a bolt from the uh, payload in the payload bay and crank it up and take it over to the space station and bolt it on. Um, you know, there's not a lot of intellect there, but actually to do it well requires a certain level of coordination and gracefulness and strength, uh, which you develop through training. Um, so, so those are sort of the personal aspects of what you do as an astronaut. It turns out the very best part, though, is the camaraderie. It's, it's going to do a really difficult task that you are passionate about with six people who, over the course of a year, become your very best friends, who are just as passionate as you are. And you go and you, and you cooperate and you do this such a difficult task among the six or seven of you, plus all the people who have helped train you, plus all the people that are out there supporting you. And that sense of accomplishment and that sense of friendship and bonding um, really is, is the biggest impact. It was the biggest impact to me about all of spaceflight. So in that sense, do you see yourself as first and foremost an astronaut or perhaps a medical doctor, an engineer, an AI researcher, a teacher, an entrepreneur, 
or a father? Yeah, it's definitely father. I mean, I was wondering if you were going to come up with that question. Uh, having a family is the greatest thing that ever happened to me, and I was very fortunate <laughs> to find the right girl early. And I was also very fortunate that she told me we were having kids. And uh, the opportunity to have a family and have people that you love and who love you uh, goes beyond any job you could ever possibly have. So uh, that's an easy question. So where do things such as family and work, for example, here at Singularity University, fit in the overall life plans or life scheme of Dan Barry? Well, uh, yeah, of course. You, you have a family who you love and, and they love you, but you still want to contribute to the world in, in other ways. And so, uh, you know, you, you find your passions, you find the things that excite you, uh, the things that, that make it so that you just, you know, nobody's going to stop you from working on these things, right? Uh, uh, you, you have dreams, and I guess there's two messages, really. One is that um, a lot of people told me I could never be an astronaut, not smart enough, um, not athletic enough, I didn't know the right people. Um, and you just can't believe those. Those are people who are actually trying to be helpful. They're trying to protect you from disappointment, but in fact, those are the people whose dreams never came true. So you have to not listen to them believe in yourself, but at the same time, you can't wait around for, yeah, I believe the dream's going to come true. You have to force it to come true. If it's something significant, if it's something you're passionate about, it's likely that other people are too. And you've got to seek those people out, find them, get them to help you, you help them. Uh, but in the end, at some point, at some level, there is competition and you have to compete and you have to do absolutely everything you can to make people let you uh, achieve your dream. Speaking of significant things that we are passionate about, we're here currently at Singularity University. Uh, do you have a 10 to the 9th project yourself? And if you do, would you mind sharing it with us? I do. Um, one of the things I'm absolutely fascinated about is um, the emergence of intellect, the emergence of intelligence, and ultimately sentience. So I would really like to be able to find the basis of that through artificial intelligence. I'm actually pretty happy to find the basis of that through any mechanism. Uh, finding an alien would be pretty, pretty up there on my list. But in terms of the things I'm capable of, the talents that I have, um, my abilities to do uh, computer programming, to build robots, to uh, understand some of the um, aspects of artificial intelligence enable me to study this from one particular direction, which is trying to, to build a complex decision maker, a device that senses the world and at some level starts to understand the world. My hope is that uh, intelligence and even sentience is an emergent property that comes when there's sufficient sensing of the world and sufficient processing of that sensing to gain an understanding, a, a situational awareness uh, of the world around you and the ability to control that world. When those processes become complex enough, uh, it may well be that intelligence, sentience simply emerges. We get an indication of that by looking in the animal world because we attribute sentience to creatures that have become complex enough. We don't generally attribute that to mosquitoes. 
cockroaches. But certainly chimpanzees, dogs, cats, yeah. Uh, cows, yeah. Dolphins, for sure. Uh, lower level uh, animals, uh, frogs, I don't know. But it's somewhere in there. Nobody really can make that distinction. So I think we're going to have a very hard time distinguishing whether an artificial intelligence is sentient or aware. Because we can't even tell if biological creatures are. And we know at some level they are, and probably at some level they're not. Nobody knows where that line exists. Your ideas and perception of AI and the Singularity evolved before and after you joined Singularity U, or have they? Um, yeah, I think that my view of AI has become much more sophisticated uh, by associating with the people that uh, come to Singularity University. In fact, it's a prime driver of, of why I'm here, is to learn from the other people who are here. And I know that the first time that I came to a meeting about Singularity and ran into Neil Jacobstein, that I had uh, met someone from whom I could learn a lot and uh, who had a deep and nuanced understanding of what the state of the art of artificial intelligence is. And um, Neil also led me to many other people. Uh, and then beyond artificial intelligence, as we start to meet uh, people from other fields, uh, you know, Daniel Kraft and um, our energy people and our nanotech folks, and uh, I started to see sort of this idea of uh, convergence of technology along a, a common curve that uh, may not be directly in the field of artificial intelligence, but the concepts that you use to study technology in one field actually generalize fairly well to many of these other fields. The other aspect of that is that ultimately an artificial intelligence is going to derive in a very multidisciplinary way. I really don't, I, I think the combination of uh, uh, computer science and uh, micro scale fabrication, ultimately nanotechnology. Um, these kind of, that's just two examples of things which are certainly going to complement each other. So uh, I think you're a bit limited if you only study, uh, you know, a single particular field. Dan, you briefly touched about the difficulties in evaluating artificial intelligence. So what do you think of the Turing test as a way of doing that? Well, I think the Turing test, the idea that um, a judge can't distinguish between the, uh, the verbal output of a computer versus a human is an interesting but very limited test. Um, I can imagine a computer that can pass a Turing test with flying colors. It has absolutely no sentience, has absolutely no knowledge of what it does. And, and, and there's been a lot of classic work done on this, the uh, Chinese room problem, those sorts of things. So while I think the Turing test is an interesting mark along the way, I don't really see it, I don't attribute to it the significance I think that maybe many other people do. I think um, the idea of developing natural language is one component that will contribute to the complexity that would be helpful to generate an emergent uh, generalized artificial intelligence and sentience perhaps. But uh, I could see that happening with no language really at all. I think uh, an understanding of the world, the ability to control it uh, in a variety of ways, um, and a sufficiently complex uh, presentation of that, um, implementation of that, um, may very well be sufficient without you know, what we would consider traditional language at all. So there are a lot of different ways to communicate. The other thing is that 
you know, we talk about human intelligence, but what is human intelligence? To me, there are so many different ways to be intelligent. So the classic way, of course, is sort of the, uh, you know, the SAT way. You answer a lot of questions and you're smart. But I think that's a very limited view of intelligence. Uh, I've met people who um, are so smart about understanding social situations, who can tell if someone's lying to them instantly, who get motivations of other people. Um, I, people are smart about being able to design something that's beautiful and enticing. People are smart about being able to create music. Um, people are smart about recognizing faces and understanding uh, family situations. Uh, you know, so we talk about intelligence, but we really gloss over intelligence. This idea that it's, it's all about reading books, I think, is a very, very narrow view. So when we talk about artificial intelligence, I think we need to incorporate these things. It's not just something that comes up with all the answers to the, to the questions on the multiple choice test. It really isn't. And in that way, when we talk about communication, uh, I think language is in the same sense. Verbal language is a very limited way to talk about communication. I mean, think about body language, uh, gestural languages, expressive things, uh, artistic uh, communications. Uh, there are just so many different levels of that. So I see the Turing test as a fairly limited uh, measure of progress in the artificial intelligence world. Nevertheless, it's a nice benchmark, and, and it'll be interesting to see you know, the progression in, in satisfying it. And what do you think of Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics as a way of structuring our relationship with sentient machines and robots? Yeah, so I think that, that Asimov came up with some great uh, concepts in terms of how we are going to hope that our robots behave. Um, actually, hardwiring those laws in, I think, is going to be a challenge. But um, it's a small framework on which to begin the larger question of uh, when you have a sentient creature, what rights are assigned to it? And when that sentient creature reaches a level of intelligence that's equal to or greater than human intelligence, what rights are assigned to that? So dogs and cats, I don't know if you call them rights, but they certainly have, we have ethical responsibilities to creatures such as that to not allow them to be in pain for no reason, for example. And uh, those kind of ethical guidelines are going to follow us into the world of artificial intelligence as we, as we find these mechanical creatures or computational structures um, exhibiting behavior that you and I would attribute um, intelligence and sentience to. So I think that Asimov got an interesting and, and very uh, good start from a discussion point of view, but uh, it goes way deeper than that. Ray Kurzweil is often criticized for being too optimistic. What, in your opinion, is our chance of surviving the singularity? Well, I think that there's a lot of different definitions of the singularity. And rather than try to just go into wild speculation, which kind of almost by definition it is, I would say I am very optimistic about the idea that exponentially increasing technology, such as information technology that we have today, is going to make, make the world a better place and is going to uh, alleviate a lot of human suffering and is going to allow us to... Um, expand our creativity. It's going, to, it's going to free humans from some of the mundane tasks that we've had to do. You know, uh, when, when we were able as human beings to begin farming, uh, having a community, 
allowed the, um, the beginnings of craftsmanship, allowed the beginnings of literature, because suddenly people's time was not 100% involved in simple survival. And we are still at a level where we spend quite a bit of our time um, generating the goods or the things or services or whatever we need simply to put food in the table and uh, heat in the house. And I think that um, technology has tremendous potential to free us from those bonds and to allow human creativity to, to be expressed by so many more people, um, to free us from the bonds of, of uh, mundane tasks. So I'm not sure about the whole singularity picture, but I have, I'm very optimistic about the potential for technology to make our lives better. Well, you mentioned the potential of technology for making our lives better and for alleviating suffering. But interestingly enough, much of the money coming towards artificial intelligence is coming from military agents. So, Dan, do you think that the process of arming artificial intelligence would change our chances of surviving a technological singularity in any way possible? Well, I think that the, uh, the concept of uh, putting guns in the hands of robots is of great concern. Uh, and as those robots uh, develop more and more artificial intelligence and uh, are attributed more and more autonomy, I think there is a risk to that. Um, and we need to, to seriously consider the potential for, for um, negative consequences. And in our current structure, we're really not effectively doing that. It's sort of uh, the idea of having a, a gun that can shoot from a place without risk to our side, so to speak, um, is very appealing. And there is concern that at some point our side might be all of humanity. <laughs> uh, that's a scary thought. So, but it's not just guns in the hands of robots, okay? I mean, really what we're talking about is how much responsibility are we willing to give to autonomous mechanical systems? Because in the end, if, if the Skynet takes over, they're not going to need to shoot us. They just can turn off the water and electricity and we're already in a lot of trouble. So, um, so I think it goes a lot deeper than just the fact that military drives a lot of the funding for this. I think we need to um, as these systems become more complex and, and um, develop more autonomy, we are going to need to find ways to control them. On the other hand, I, I think that the tools that we're developing in the artificial intelligence world have the potential to, to give us uh, substantial control. But it's a serious question, and it's one that, that deserves deep discussion. Dan, we're coming towards the end of our interview today. And I would like to ask you if there's a single thing, a single message that you would like for our viewers and listeners to take away from this interview with you today. I think I, I already mostly said uh, the, the big message, which is whatever you're passionate about, whatever it is that um, excites you, whatever it is your dream, you mustn't let anyone tell you that you cannot do this thing. And the flip side of that is every single day, Every day, you have to do something to advance that dream, to get closer to it. It's so easy to skip a day and then skip two days and then skip a week and a couple of years go by and all of a sudden you're in trouble. So 
Um, I sort of say a little bit in jest, but to some extent true. Worst thing that can happen to you is get a good job in your 20s, right? Because you don't want to get comfortable, okay? You don't want to get comfortable. The time goes by so fast. Every day, work at that dream. Every day, bring it closer. And you know what? Have fun while you're doing it. Dan Barry, you're an inspiration for all of us here at Singularity University. Thank you very much for spending this time with us today. Hi, I appreciate the invitation, Nick. Look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank you.